And now, here's your host, Alessandra Torresani. Well, we have um, Ross Zabo with us right now, the coolest last name ever. Um, I'm so excited you're here. You came all the way to my house, so thank you for that because a lot of people don't want to do that and not even just because of COVID, like we're all good. It's not because of that. People are like, oh, going to a house or going to a studio, Like, but we got very comfortable not having to go places and doing things, you know, just online and on your computer. So I just think it's so much more fun to be here one-on-one and get to meet a total stranger um, and pick your brain and make you laugh and just get silly because I feel like you had no idea what you were walking into. (laughs) I think the in-person interview is always better. I think Zoom interviews... You can vibe, but like in-person interview means so much more. So much more. more. Oh my gosh. So I have so many questions for you. I had no idea who you were because I don't know anyone in the mental health field. This is all very, very, very new to me. Um, I do host a podcast about mental health, but uh, my only um, thing that I got going for me is I live with bipolar disorder. So I'm not a specialist. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just know my own lived experience. So the whole point of me having this podcast is so I could bring people on such as yourself to come on and be like, here are the facts. Here's what we do. Here are the tools. Like what are the modalities I can provide you with and all of these fun things. Um, something I don't know. So these are just reasons why I'm like, yes. Okay. Ross, tell me every (laughs) single thing. Um, but I just got so excited because you became like so highly recommended from, from our mutual friend, um, Dr. Raghu Apasani. Um, I call him spaghetti and we all laugh about it. I know, but he (laughs) said that you are just fantastic and the work that you're doing for the mental health community is just unbelievable so how did this even start for you oh man i'll give you the briefest yeah the briefest okay okay Okay. so i had my own personal (laughs) experience with bipolar disorder and oh my god fun welcome to the club it's a great club I think it's actually yeah. the best club because the the cool people that are part of it, um, they, they are the most creative and they're wild and they're fun. And, you know, they speak the truth. So I tend to be pretty overactive. Yeah. You know, like for the most part. Good. So, um, <laughs> so I had like the kind of like back to school special experience in high school where I tried to take my own life, mm, lost my friends, had like all the stigma and then was like. I'm going to speak about it. Yeah. And so I started sharing my personal story with bipolar disorder, depression, substance abuse when I was actually in high school. Really? Yeah. How old were you when you were diagnosed? 16. Wow. So I wasn't diagnosed till I was about 21, 22. I was actually misdiagnosed and I was put on antidepressants, um, which, oh my God, I can't wait to post this video because the face just said it all. (laughs) Ross just said it with his eyes. The highs were higher Mm -hmm. and the lows were so low. And that was my first time. um, And luckily, knock on wood, even though this isn't wood, this is leather. um, You know, it was the only time that I had this serious um, take action of wanting to take my own life. Mm. Um, and I was never someone who thought, um, in a, in a, I never had suicidal ideations. I never had any of that before until I was put on this medication. Mm. And that's when it, I mean, I am telling you within, 
I would say a week of being on this medicine, that's how quickly my whole body changed and my whole mentality changed. Um, So quite young too for a male to be Mm -hmm. diagnosed. Like boys, they're always like, they're just rambunctious and they're crazy. (laughs) Like they love to experiment with drugs. That's just... We had a, a long history of mental health disorders in my family. So my oldest brother actually had bipolar disorder. Grandparents had substance abuse issues and aunts and uncles with alcoholism wow. and depression right. and anxiety. So I think because my oldest brother had been diagnosed before me, uh-huh. they were like, oh, this is probably what it could be. Um, Which is so wild. Yeah. And thank God, honestly, because, you know, my, my dad was or is bipolar, um, but doesn't doesn't acknowledge it, doesn't talk about it. And his grandmother, I mean, his mother, excuse me, my grandmother used to run around and beat her husband with a frying pan and they'd be like, she's a crazy Italian. And it's like, now you look at it and you're like, is that what that was? I don't think so. You know, so it's, you're really quite blessed that that was something that was even talked about and open in your family where there was no judgment even towards it. Yeah. Uh, You know, I grew up in a really rural part of Pennsylvania. So I would say that it was unbelievable to have access to treatment i think the biggest barrier for me in the treatment from day one was like before the diagnosis i went through a lot of trauma Mm. so i'd been hiding my emotions for a long time and i learned to drink alcohol before i learned to talk about my feelings oh my god story of everyone's life that's so so fun (laughs) so from like 16 to 22 i was a mess i was actually closer to killing myself actually at 21 and 22 than I was when I tried to kill myself at 17. Cause you because had just spun down. Care. You just were circling down the drain. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And I always say like, there are a few things more dangerous than a person who hates themselves. Cause when I hated myself, I had no consequences. Yeah. I, yeah. I just didn't care. I, yes. So, I know. I, yeah. I Literally it's that's, it's so strange because I've never heard someone put it that way before, but it's so true. So you started talking about this in high school. Did, yeah. Why? I was pissed because like... That's a very honest answer. Yeah. yeah. How did you become an advocate? I was angry. I was fucking mad at the world. What happened was um, the, the students in my high school weren't better behaved than I was. Right. We were all driving drunk. We were all having parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were all in the depths of right. self-hatred. Right. But because what I was going through had a name... Mm. I got called crazy and a psycho and lost friends and had rumors about me and like was an outcast. Yeah. And so for me, I was like, this is too yeah. much. But I, mental health had been normalized for me when I was 11, when my brother was in the psychiatric ward. Mm. So I so had you'd this, seen it before right, firsthand. Right. And so it was wasn't, it scary for you. Um, His path was much different than mine. Mm. He was diagnosed on his very first episode. He got help immediately. My God, like what a dream. Like that is, a, that, that, this took me 22 years <laughs> of doctors. Like, wow. He got help immediately. We could afford help and he accepted his diagnosis. So he never drank, he never did drugs. He never messed with his medication. He was <laughs> able to move forward pretty quickly because he had these things. I... Did not do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, we're not the same. We're not twins. Okay, right. And I lived in denial for so long mm-hmm. and abused drugs, abused alcohol, just beat myself up. So it wasn't until I was like 22 that I really got to a place where I, one, accepted that I hated myself. Yeah. And then after accepting that I hated myself, could accept like all the things that happened to me. Did you tell your friends that you were on bipolar medication? Yeah. 
And when I was 16, yeah. Did you, this is so, okay, I have, <laughs> we have so much to talk about, but I, I just, I'm, I'm so confused in a way that I'm trying to understand how this would have gone in my life. I was so relieved when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. It literally felt like someone took my shoulders, like gave me a massage and was like, here you go, like go for your life. And I was like, oh, finally, you know, someone can put a name to this feeling that I have inside of me. But I also sort of started sharing with people and I got judged so much so quickly. And I was told as an actress, you know, you shouldn't, really say anything because people are going to think that you're difficult on set mm. you know don't yeah. just keep it quiet um and so i had been so shamed about it and i didn't know one other person that was living with bipolar disorder other than my idol carrie fisher go figure you mm -hmm. know um but obviously I did not know Carrie Fisher at all, you know what I mean? I'm not like BFF with her. Um, I wish, but, um, you know, I, I just, I can't even fathom what it would be like to go through that diagnosis and be so confident enough to, to be able to share it amongst people in high school. Cause people are assholes in high school. Like just to begin with, like you don't even want to tell them anything that you have or something they may be wrong at home or, you know, I, I don't know. How did, where did you get the confidence from? Again, I think it was normalized because like I saw my oldest brother go through it. I didn't tell everyone. I told my closest friends right. and then, um, you know, it, it wasn't something I was focusing on. Yeah. Like I took my medications, but I still drank with them every day. Yeah. I still did right. all these other things. So I guess it wasn't as huge of a deal mm -hmm. because it wasn't like I was like, hey, I have this severe mental health disorder that I am taking so seriously <laughs> and I am not going to drink with you. Yeah. I'm going to stay sober yeah. and like, yeah. I'm going to do like, God, so you I, had fun. <laughs> in, in, in some ways it was just like, okay. Mm. I was like saying I had bipolar disorder was like saying I'm wearing jeans today. Like, right. Right, we, it was so we common. didn't put any energy into it until I tried to kill myself. Mm. And then there was like a full stop from my closest friends that were like. And you were already on your medication at this oh, point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why was there such a switch for you that you think that, that just bipolar disorder? Well, like, when you are abusing alcohol as heavily as I was, the medication doesn't actually yeah. matter. If you're yeah. not actively working on your coping mechanisms, if you're not actively like yeah. paying attention to how you treat your brain. Yeah. It's not going to really have an yeah, impact. Yeah. So I went through a severe depression and it was months of suicidal thoughts and thoughts of death and everything else that built up to it. But, you know, if you're not taking yeah. care of yourself, Listen, if you the, don't, yeah. if you don't do the work, right. it's not going to change. And I, as a teenager, it's hard to do the work because you can't even really see. <laughs> do your homework. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't see the bigger picture of it no. all, you know, and you think, you know, I mean, I don't know what your situation was like, but for me, you know, I actually was too scared of, um, substance and alcohol. I was very scared of it. Um, my dad drank a lot, so I don't know if that's why I also would have, you know, um, a, a spicy margarita and I throw up within 20 minutes. So I'm sure I'm allergic to it actually, to be perfectly honest. That's great. Um, it was great. <laughs> it worked out for the best. Oh. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it was something where I, I knew that even though I was taking the medicine, I still had to do the work because I didn't do the work and I could still feel the like anger and the mania coming and the throwing things and breaking mirrors, my favorite activity to do. Even though I was medicated, I could still feel like that volcano ready to erupt inside of me at any moment mm -hmm. unless I did work, which took 
years and still takes years. I'm still not even there, you know, and I have different types of tools and ways to kind of fix my mind. Um, Okay, this is so exciting. So you talked in high school, yeah, and you lost your friends after that. Well, no, <laughs> is I, that uh, how it worked so out? So I had like when I got after I got out of the psychiatric ward, and like people knew, right? That's when I started getting called a psycho and a crazy. Kid. Oh, fun! I the, love I love the word crazy. I hope it doesn't offend you because I got yelled at one time by someone. So well, it was more like because um, <laughs> I got called it all the time. So I right. just I took it as I'm going to own it. Okay, seventeen year old Ross did not did do not that. do that. <laughs> well, well, okay, but now so, now Ross does. <laughs> So, so what happened was um, my fo- the four friends from my like my high school that were closest to me never left. Mm. But I lost other friends and I had like just rumors and everything. So yeah. I spoke in high school. My mental health did not get better. I was in and out of colleges, psychiatric wards, really for the next like four years. Uh-huh. And then when I had this moment at age 22 where I actually started being able to understand my right. mental health, I had this thought. And the thought was when I was in high school... We had full school assemblies that were like, don't drink and drive, don't do drugs, yeah. don't have sex. But we never had an assembly that was like, talk about that your mental, mental health. health. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I'm going to start my own nonprofit organization and we are going to create this platform. This was at 22. Yeah. Wow. 23, 22, <gasps> 22. Yeah. But early 20s. Yeah. yeah. So I started. And then at the same time. The National Mental Health Awareness Campaign, which was started by the Clinton administration, uh-huh. is doing all their public service announcements with MTV right. and doing this huge thing. Mm. And so it's it's 2002. Five? Uh, oh, 2002. Because I remember this because it was my high school time. Okay. Like, ish. Right. Yeah. And so um, they reach out to me. What? That's uh, so cool. I was, I was going to college in D.C. there in D.C. Yeah. And they came to me and they're like, hey, this campaign's at a crossroads. Like, what do you think we should do? And I was like, well, there's no full school assemblies about mental health. So from so they hired me. From 2002 to 2006, I went out and spoke to over half a million young people oh all over God. the country. But the idea was, what do we need to do to lay the groundwork so that we can have other speakers? Right. So right. I was kind of a guinea pig of like, mm. what's yeah. the messaging? What's safe? How do we protect people? Right. And then in 2006, we launched the first national youth mental health speakers bureau in the country. Which is incredible. <laughs> like, it's literally incredible. Were you up there by yourself when you were giving, yeah. like, when you, were you so scared? You know, what's interesting is, like, now that I look back, I had yeah. a really strong ability to disconnect emotionally from everything. Yeah. And so like fun. <laughs> no, it's not Ross, fun. we're learning so we're much talk, about you like, today. Ask, uh, ask my wife if that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as I look back at the younger me, yeah. I can see that I was very driven, that I understood the responsibility that was taking place. Mm-hmm. It was an opportunity. It was very different from speaking in high school classrooms because now you're speaking to like audiences of like two thousand students at a right. time. Right. Or like I think the largest audience I spoke to in that time was like 6,000 college students wow. at that time. And um, I never took a public speaking class. Yeah. I never like, you this know. This wasn't your, your no. field. Yeah. But I had this opportunity to work with like the Surgeon General and like all the top mental health professionals in the country. Right. And we designed the like template for how these presentations could educate people, mm-hmm. be safe for the speaker give responsible messaging for the students Mm. and be like fun. Right. Like they weren't these like 
terribly God, depressing that's the thing, right? I was watching so many of your videos and I just was like, you 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 make it so exciting and engaging because so many things, no, truthfully, are so boring. And I, oh my God, I talk about it on this podcast so much how bored I am going to so many of these different mental health conferences mm -hmm. and stuff because now that I opened up and talked about, you know, my mental health, everyone's like, oh my God, she's bipolar, come on in. You know, and now <laughs> I'm like, whoa, this is a whole new world. But there are so many people that just almost drive me insane sitting there because yeah. I'm like, I, I, I appreciate hearing stories. I think that that's where I know for me and, and other people that I've interviewed before, um, and especially a lot of people who are new in the mental health field, resonate with stories, right? Mm -hmm. So like you just sharing everything that happened to you when you were younger with bipolar disorder. I'm like, I was there, I get it. Right. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I understand. And it it's not even that there's like a bigger respect for you or something. It's just like, wow, I feel heard and I feel seen. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something as a kid and as a teenager and in college, we never feel seen. We never feel heard. Right. We never, you know, so you can go to these conferences and, and even now as an adult, you know what I mean? Well, I, don't, I don't know. I won't go that far, but you know what I mean? I won't go to these things. And it's just like, I feel like they're just reading a paper. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's no experience. I, um, one of my friends is a, he's one of my co-hosts. He's a neuroscientist. Uh -huh. And I had, was laughing with him because I got asked, um, I swear I was to be a guinea pig, um, for the bipolar disorder, blah, 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 world doctors who all study bipolar disorder and they come together for a conference and it's usually in person. And this time it was just over zoom. Um, and I had no idea who I was talking to, nothing, but they wanted someone with lived experience. And they, um, I had been asked like through this other organization and it was wonderful, but I was just like, this is the first time you're hearing what it feels like to be bipolar. And you're the one that's making the medicine. You're the one that's doing this. And it's not like shame on you. It's just like, it just shows how, how important a story is and how important mm -hmm. lived experience really truly is right. to get through to other people. Right. So what you've done is, is just, you've created something that was like such, you know, over and above all darkness, right. Of like mm -hmm. something that we're all born with. If you're born with a mental health issue, you know, um, and, and bringing light to it and bringing joy to it. Yeah, it must have been a lot of pressure to have people come up to you and stuff afterwards. Well, and that's so that's the thing that that's where the disconnection probably saved my life. Hmm, yeah, because, because you didn't take their energy. Like no, and um, every day. So at the height, so from like 2002 to 2010, mm -hmm. I would be in three to four cities a week. Right. Wow. Speaking to thousands of people a week, and after every talk. Someone would be suicidal, crying, right. you know, like everything. And I always looked at that as my job to not be the fixer. Yeah. yeah it was yeah. to let them know what resources were available. Here you go. Right. right. So let's say you're crying. I could be like, okay, yeah. here's a counselor. Here's a number. Here's a therapist. Right. Here's a psychologist. Right. Yeah. And making sure they always had a connection. Uh, so that like saved me mm -hmm. because I think if I was as aware of my emotions as I am now, mm -hmm. And tried to do that. I, I I don't know that I would be able to handle it because now I don't I yeah. don't speak as much because like I I run uh, I, I work at a school right so right. like it's a it's a big difference right because um, that was something I was not expecting mm -hmm. um, because 
right as like an actor you're like oh you're a fan of your work great awesome sometimes i get feed pictures in in my dms awesome you know what i mean like that's about <laughs> as far as it gets but you don't know how to deal with the like no, ross is like what is going on i'm good no one wants to trust me no one wants to i do not look at them um but you know you don't realize um how hard it is when you you share your story and this is why i always tell people you know you may have the most incredible story in the world, but if you're not ready to share it and know the floodgates are, are open and, and you're going to have a bunch of people that are going to come to you, not necessarily looking for health, but, but for help, excuse me, but sharing their own story or like, can you relate to this? And sometimes it's just so much energy and so it's just, energy. and I had no idea. I had to take a break from this podcast uh -huh. because I, and it goes going back to our friend Raghu, like I literally had a, a moment where I was like, I can't handle this anymore because mm -hmm. it wasn't that I loved hearing from other people. I just didn't know how to take care of myself at the same time and putting up boundaries. And right. I'd be like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God, what do I do? How do I write back? Like I got to get this done fast. Right. So I, I think that you have to be fully ready and commit yourself to be like, okay, if I do this and I share this, there's going to be a X amount of people that are going to come in. It's going to be very heavy work. And I just got to either accept it not absorb it, but listen, because it's right. important to listen. Right, of course. But don't take in that energy. Don't be right. that empath, you know? Well, I mean, so I did this from 2002 to 2010, right? Yeah. In 2010, I just joined the Peace Corps and left the country for two what? and a half years. What? I didn't even, like, you talk about, like, you took a break from your podcast. I took a break. From the world. From everything. Yeah. And, wow, where uh, did you go? I lived in uh, northern Botswana for two and a half years. Cool. Yeah. Wow. What yeah. was that like? I, you know, you needed it, obviously. I did. Um, I worked at a center for people with disabilities. Yeah. So that part was like really um, just touching. Yeah. Because people with disabilities in Botswana were often kind of discarded. They couldn't. They couldn't like support the family or anything right. like that. So you'd go and see like kids with intellectual disabilities who had been outcasted from their village because there was no learning, you know, resources, learning to, sign language yeah. right. to communicate with kids that were deaf. But these were kids who were like, you know, like they were kind of like sworn off as like not being smart, <sighs> but like so they're yeah. literally learning sign language from their deaf friends just to support each other. I mean, <laughs> just to have that connection, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, it's just so kind. And then like um the center also had like all these other opportunities. And you know, I had to cook everything from scratch and like right. sometimes had electricity and sometimes had right. water. Um yeah. and yeah. then like washing my clothes by hand, like all that stuff. So it was like a really amazing opportunity to like reground, right. recenter, refocus and uh not have and, 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 you know, when you are a speaker about mental health, especially the way I was, it was like a false sense of celebrity. Yeah. Because, like, you'd go somewhere, everyone would clap for you, everyone would tell you amazing yep. that you were amazing. And nobody really knew that, like, out off that stage, I wasn't, like, amazing. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I know. wasn't, like, I know exactly perfect. what you're talking about. And so to leave all of that and They're go like, to you're place, so strong and you're so brave <laughs> and literally you go home and you're like, fuck everything like that's I maybe i'm projecting that is that just I mean, me that's, that's just me. a little bit but you know <laughs> but, but yeah i know i i know that feeling of 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 
just it's almost harder right because you get this rush of endorphins of all these mm -hmm. people and you're like wow i'm doing the work i'm doing the work and then you get home and like this was before i was married like i was really alone and even when you're married you're alone sometimes in your thoughts and mm -hmm. it gets really really oh, hard yeah. and dark and yeah. sad and heavy and and you can't breathe and you have the mm -hmm. panic and you know so it is it is interesting but but sorry well, keep like, on going it's like about even like my therapist said to me recently she was like, I feel like you've always cognitively understood what you should be doing for your mental health. Yeah. But you haven't embraced yeah. it right. or applied it in the ways you can. I feel like it, just this year is the most present I've been. Right. I'm wow. 33. Wow, I you look this great. Shit <laughs> You're the same age as my husband. Wow. <laughs> I started this when I was 16. That's and like, great. This is the that's most a lot moment. of heavy work for this long. Wow. But, and we could talk more about those modalities. But, but basically, um, when I came home from the Peace Corps, I got back and I was like, I don't know if I want to do mental health. It probably did so many things. So this is really cool. When I started speaking in 2002, there were three other mental health advocates in this country. That's it? That young mental health advocates. Okay. And we knew each other. Oh my we're gosh. Like, oh yeah, cool. Was there like a competition? Right? No. No. <laughs> we had to rely on each other because there was no one else. Right. When I came back from the Peace Corps in 2013, so this is 11 years right. later, now there are hundreds of thousands yeah. of young mental health wow. advocates. And, and can I let you know that at 2013, for me, I couldn't tell you one of them because I, and I was, well, because I was so lost because I didn't know anything about the mental health space. Right. And it's just like so wild to me that you've been part of this for so long because if I would have known that when I was first diagnosed, I would have been just over the moon to know that there was someone else that was like, you know, thriving in their life with this mental illness. Yeah. So, you so know. you're just calling me old. You yeah, you're, you're nine years <laughs> older than me. Yes, you're old. <laughs> So, um, I hear you. You're the first, Grandpa. You're the first. <laughs> so, I come back and I'm like, I don't want to keep doing awareness. I yeah. do not. I, I left this country <laughs> oh my God, you because I was doing mental yeah. health awareness. I don't want to do it. And so, I started thinking to myself and I was like, you know what? We teach physical health yeah. from kindergarten through the rest of people's lives. Mm. We don't teach mental health. Mm. What if I developed a curriculum that taught mental health the same way we teach physical health? Mm -hmm. So, instead of... Like in physical health, the messaging is never like you're going to die and you're going to get diabetes and you're going to get cancer and you That's suck it. and you're yeah. fat yeah, and yeah. everything's awful. Give up now. <laughs> if you think about physical health education, mm -hmm. it's you have a body. Here's how you take care of your body. Yep. Here's what you can look out for. And if something happens, here's what you need to do. Right. When we talk about mental health, we tend to talk about it from you have depression and you have anxiety and you're going to have an eating disorder yeah. and you're going to yeah. be screwed. And like, we don't talk about it from a place of normalizing mental health. Mm -hmm. We almost talk about it from a place of normalizing mental illness. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, what if I came up with a curriculum that normalized mental health, mm -hmm. that gave a vocabulary, that defined mental health, that taught coping skills, that taught how to interact and like right. support each other. Right. And so got funding and created it in 2013, wow. launched it, had my own private company because I was like, this people should pay for this. <laughs> yeah, but but I it's don't like, think that there's no, anything wrong with not. that, because you know what? This is some listen, other people come up with things and, and they get paid for it. So right. why not? Yeah. Like it's a job. It's it's, it's work. So by 2016. Curriculums in like top universities in the country, like Penn and MIT and wow. like Duke. And then it's also at like the top 
middle schools, high schools, public schools. It's all over the country. And were they different? Obviously, it must have been different curriculum for different ages, or was it all around the same sort of thing? Okay. So here's the deal. And were you by yourself doing this? Yes. Holy shit. Wow, okay. So then... um, He's smart. (laughs) So then 2016, I'm consulting at UCLA, and they're like, hey, we have the opportunity to start this new school. It's going to be grades 6 through 12. What would you do if you got to start a school? Mm. I was like, well, if I got to start a school, we would have a class where students learn about their mental health once a week. Yeah. And they were like, we would like you to help start this school. And so that journey, like, listen, and like, we could talk about a lot of things. The journey of how to train speakers, because I've trained over 50 speakers who've spoken to millions of people, was like wild. Right. The journey to create a curriculum. Did you ever have like an out-of-body experience where you're like, no one taught me how to do this and I'm teaching someone? Well, the thing is, I was born (laughs) in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. So when when, when this campaign was like, how many speakers do you think we should train? I was like 12. I think 12 (laughs) would be like appropriate. Um, And then uh, the board. Has anyone ever not gotten that joke? Of course. (laughs) So here's the thing. The board of this organization is like the most distinguished people in the country, right? Right. right. And one time uh, I was home in Pennsylvania. So Bethlehem and Nazareth are in Pennsylvania. It's a long story. And uh, there was a... Pennsylvania is so fun. There was a newspaper article in my hometown newspaper that said, outspoken Nazareth man starts national campaign. (laughs) (laughs) And I sent it... To the board, and they were like, "What? Is oh happening? my gosh!" And then I made it to age thirty-four, and I was like, "I beat him!" Wow! I beat Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, thirty-three. Jesus. Anyway, I'm thirty-four. Uh, <laughs> Guess what? Ross won. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I had a lot of experiences where, like, well, th- think about this. I grew up in a blue-collar rural Pennsylvania town. I went from driving a forklift mm. in an old school Circuit City distribution warehouse. Love Circuit City. Miss it every day. That and Fry's Electronics, but that's a different story. One year, one year later, I am on CNN with wow. Tipper Gore and the Surgeon General talking about mental health, meeting with MTV, doing all this stuff. So, like, yeah, I had a lot of out of body exposure. Yeah, I had like, a lot of moments where I was like, I had a lot going on. What is even happening right, right now? Right, right, right. You know? Did you ever have um, like a moment where you're like, maybe this is not what I should be doing because I can't even handle this right now? So, you know, what's interesting. Like, you know how like imposter syndrome is like this like buzzword yeah, now? Yeah, which I didn't. Okay, can I tell you something truthfully? I didn't know what imposter syndrome was. And someone was talking about it on this like audio app. And everyone's like, oh my God, I suffer from imposter syndrome. I'm like, what the f- Am I like this old? Like, what does this even mean? I had to Google what imposter syndrome meant. <laughs> like, I was like, what is happening? But it's a huge buzzword now. I know. I it's a big thing. I don't know that I had it. I, yeah. I honestly yeah. think, like, whatever combination of anger, confidence, right. and determination happened to right. me was like, we're going to do this. Right. And right. I am a very linear Taurus. Oh my God. Like, stubborn as gonna shit. Gonna do this thing. Stubborn as shit. Right? Just took it step by step. Took it right. presentation by presentation, moment by moment. And I, I don't think I ever had this like Wayne's World, I'm not worthy like right, moment. Right, I right. I was like, I got this. 
What did your family <laughs> think of that? I mean, like, that's a trip to me in itself. But what did your family think? Did they so, like, kind of know that this was maybe something you were always meant to do? My, so I, I'm the youngest of three boys. Okay, wow. I'm, my, oldest brother, my oldest brother is an astrophysicist. Sure. My middle brother was, like, the, like, most absurdly talented athlete wow. ever. Wow. And so, um... My oldest brother was proud and understood it. Right. My middle brother is like the most supportive, loving big Aww. brother you could like ever Aww. have. So did he always know who the people I was talking about were? No. No. Did he care? No. He cared that we were like hanging out. Yeah. So there was no pressure from my brothers. Right. And then my parents were just always like proud. Yeah. They were just happy I wasn't like dysfunctional yeah and very sick right yeah. and they didn't you know my dad <laughs> my dad passed away four years ago and it's still like oh i'm so sorry uh, still just messes me up Thanks. right of course um, he was the most like emotionally expressive vulnerable feeling connected man and and like, from pennsylvania yeah Wow, which is, I know that that sounds so strange that I asked that, but I asked this because my my mom is from Chicago, my dad's from Michigan. So like, I know that Midwest, I know that East Coast, I know those men where it's like, you don't show your emotions, you're mm -hmm. not expressive. Like, it's just like, you are the man of the house, you right. know? So for that to be the personality, that's so wonderful that you were able to be raised with a role model like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Wow. And so he was always just proud and he yeah. would like tell you, like he'd express it and like, so, so happy. And my mom was the same way. So there was never like, and I never got treated differently right, because of right. it. Like nobody was like, I wasn't coming home and right. like, it was just a job. Was it a normal job? No. 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 By any means. <laughs> and like, I got paid to speak at right. a very young age. I started speaking nationally at like 23. Wow. And people would pay me for that wow so like i was also doing well financially right. with which when you, you are parents that's your main concern of like, course yeah is surviving yeah can People he eat paying. tomorrow you know <laughs> yeah. i mean it's right. literally like the simple things i think right. especially i'm an only child um but um i have a lot of cousins and a lot of like all guys you know the the all boys in a family and i mean making sure that the boys are like just getting up in the morning you know what i mean because boys are rambunctious and they're crazy and so like i've seen those moms that are like <laughs> oh my god they're so exhausted by these like rambunctious things running around so as long as they're like taking care of it's like we're good to go wow that's so wild yeah how do you feel like you know when you said you're married do you feel like you have it not under control? And this is a personal question for me asking okay. if I can learn to do this. Like where you take the mental health space that you work in every single day and like leave it there and not take it home with you because you do live with it. Yeah. I uh, So like my wife and I have really good boundaries. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, my, relationships are a, a journey. Was uh, it hard letting her know that? Well, I mean, no, I guess obviously I mean, not if well, you, you tell everyone. Like, Google me. Like, yeah, like, yeah. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that's the biggest thing is like, right. all these people who are like, oh, I'm dating. When do I disclose this? Name a person you've ever gone on a date with that you didn't like try to research or like, you know what I mean? Oh, I like, talk to everyone. Yes. Right. Yes. So like, I don't have the benefit right. of like, <laughs> I'm not going to tell them yeah. this yeah. aspect of my life right. because I've been so public with it since I was a kid. Right. And so that was, that was not a concern. I think the bigger, the bigger difficulties in a relationship 
from a mental health perspective isn't even necessarily the disorder. It's how the disorder messed up your ability to be intimate yeah. and your ability to communicate and your ability you think? to and your ability to be present. Yeah. Like if I look at my relationship, it's not even the diagnoses I've had. Right. It's my ability to disconnect, my ability to like go inside myself. Right. My um seemingly difficult inability to communicate. Yeah. And then, like, also be present and hold space for someone else. So, right. yeah, I think the side effects of diagnoses are can be so much more damaging to relationships than the actual. That's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, I. I because it, well, let me think about it this way. Let's say you lash out. Right. But it comes from a place of, like, the disorder. Right. A person can sit there and be like, okay, mm. well, that might not be them. That might be this thing. Yeah. But let's say you just check all the way out of a relationship. You could say like, oh, yeah, well, I had this diagnosis. But truly, the checking out is the coping mechanism you used from the diagnosis, right? And then you've now created a dynamic in a relationship where you can't build intimacy because you're just checked out, right? Right. So um, that was always more difficult for me. The diagnoses are like, okay, I can work with this with a person. But when you're trying to have trust, communication, and intimacy, like... Yeah. Those things are hard. It's so interesting, though, that, you know, you did speak about it so openly forever. And then obviously she could just Google it and find it because that was not the case for Sturgis and I. And when I first because I hadn't spoken about it yet, like at all, you know, um, I didn't start speaking about it until like fully, fully, like outrageously, obnoxiously speaking about this um, until maybe like two and a half years ago. so oh, when so I, been together. Yeah. yeah, and we've been together for seven years. Right. So when I first met him, you know, I have made a choice. The relationship I was in before was very, um, very mentally abusive mm-hmm. and it was held against me that I was in quote unquote crazy and psychotic mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And everything was always my fault, you know, um, because I was bipolar. Uh-huh. So I chose to, instead of hide that, like I had done before and like been slow about coming out about it. When I first met him, I was like, you know, by the way, I'm bipolar, like first sentence, Mm -hmm. I was like, either we can move forward or this isn't going to happen, but Mm -hmm. like, let's not waste my time. And, you know, he's lived with so many things and been through so much. And he was like, okay. And, you know, like, and I think it was the first time that I'd ever been in a relationship where someone didn't think like, Ooh, you're what? Like where it was touchy you know what Mm -hmm. i mean a very touchy subject so for it to be out there and open your entire life basically your adult life right you know a dating adult life Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of like well here i am (laughs) right and it never really i um it was never a thought to you it wasn't a thought to me but i never saw really negative impact from i think like the stereotypes that we have to deal with are different too. Yeah. Because I have a public face of speaking about mental health, the <laughs> perception from a lot of people when I'm dating was like, oh, what a emotional, like, <laughs> what a brave guy, vulnerable, <laughs> caring, sensitive. Man. Like, even like, I've been in professional situations where, like, one of my, like, w- like a woman, like, co worker says something and is looked at as, like, moody and, like, yeah. Um, angry and i'll say the same thing and people are like oh isn't it so great that this man talks about feelings (laughs) 
Ross and his feelings. So, so, but if you think about that dynamic, yeah. if a if someone who identifies as female is like saying like I have this mental health disorder, I think it's different than if a male is openly right. saying and advocating, being like, "Yeah, I have these feelings." Right. Right. Like. I mean, it's wild. It's so wild. Wait, so now what's going to happen? What's next? Like, Gavin oh. Academy, tell me everything about this. So the... This is a part... Now, this is a, a children's school, like a... It's no? grade 6 through 12, so it's oh, ages it's 11 to 18. I yeah. thought it was much younger for some reason. Okay. There is a school at UCLA called the Lab School. and that's The Lab, that's what I was thinking six. of. Right. We Gavin Academy at UCLA is grade 6 through 12. Okay. And so we have this class where students learn about their mental health once a week, every week from grade six through grade 12. What we, what we realized really early on was you can't talk about mental health without talking about healthy relationships, yeah. healthy sexuality, consent, yes. like all these other it's things. It's all together. Right. Thank you. Yes. So now the class is like not just mental health. Uh, it's healthy relationships, healthy sexuality, consent, drugs, alcohol, like all that stuff. Right. right. And um, our school's been open for four years. So we had our first graduating class. And the data shows that, like, believe it or not, it works. normalizing mental health once a week works. works, right? So this summer, we had the first mental health teacher training institute that we've ever had. Wow. Um, and we're now we're training other schools on how to... Oh, that's so cool. It's how to do two things. One, how to have an actual curriculum yeah. that scales with adolescent development and their milestones to actually teach them about what is right. happening in their lives and give them skills. But do it from a public health perspective. Mm. You can't do it from a therapeutic perspective. Mm -hmm. You can't have therapeutic classrooms. Mm. But you can have a public health approach where you're like, hey, this is what mental health is. These are the skills. These are how you can use them. Well, it was like, sex ed, like a sex right. ed class. I mean, right. it's the same sort of thing. That's right. why it's like, why is that okay? And, and right. this isn't, you know? Yeah. And is it different for the grades or are they all in the same class together? It's different. Yeah, it's different. Each, like, each grade is separated. Yeah. And then um, the second thing we're doing is teaching other schools. I, I'm, we're teaching other teachers how they can use their personal stories effectively in the classroom. Mm. So, like, there is a way to share your personal story incorrectly. Really? And there is a way to probably use Probably every way that I've done it is <laughs> probably the most incorrect way. Out, yeah, well, after very this, incorrect, like, probably. <laughs> well, especially as the responsible adult in the classroom. Yeah, I mean, I, that's very different. You have to be able to use your story effectively. One of the biggest complaints from, from students all the time is that they don't feel like their teachers understand them. You said earlier, people need to feel seen and heard. Yep. So all of my students, know, well, one, they all know my story because they know it. Right. Like they're going to Google. Like, it's, right. Right. It's going right. to happen. But uh, I use my personal story in the classroom to get them to think about their lives and to normalize mental health. So, for example, very short example. One, you never share a story that you haven't processed. With thank you, yep, adolescence, yeah, because if you're crying in the classroom, it's yeah. no longer a classroom, right? And it's just a dynamic where they think they're responsible for you, right? Right? So, like, when my dad died, it was two weeks before our school opened. <gasps> oh my god, and I didn't tell those kids that my dad died until I think like a year or two years later because I needed time to process that, of course, and it's not on them to do that, right? Right, right, but because my experiences with mental health disorders were so far ago so long ago they know that like i tried to kill myself they know that i abused drugs and alcohol they know right. that like i had all these things but the way i tied in the lessons will be like just making it real for them mm -hmm. where we are failing in education is when we treat kids like um 
like we don't know what they're doing or like like i never in a classroom would i be like hey if you ever one day find someone (laughs) and you kiss them that (laughs) would be a way to be safe is this like i'm like y'all are making out Y'all are y'all hooking up. We all know what's going on. Let's We've talk, seen TikTok. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, let's talk about consent. Are you talking about consent? Yeah. What do you think about consent? Like, and with mental health, um, you know, I think the biggest thing that comes up in high schools is self-hatred or a, mm. a lack of liking oneself. I don't know. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. And so, um, you know, I can share with them like, hey. This is my when I was your age. I hated myself, but let's talk about you. And it normalizes it in a way for them where they're like, they're I can trust this person. Right, right. This person right. is at least aware that this is happening yeah. versus the like old school method of like oh abstinence or like yeah. whatever it is. So that's the future. For me, the future is how do we change the education system so that we teach mental health the same way we teach physical health. And there's different tiers for that. Not every school can do what we do. I don't think you need to, mm. but you do need to teach mental health the same way we teach physical health. And so we have different ways that schools can do that. What's the biggest difference that you've seen from the kids from your school, from them processing about the mental health class and all that stuff? So, Like a couple things. Um, our graduating seniors went to college and college orientation, they were like messaging me and they were like, hey, they call me Zabo. They don't call me Mr. Zabo. Right? Yeah. But um, they were like, hey. This entire college orientation is what we've talked about for four years. Wow. So everyone else on this campus is freaking out and we're like, duh. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. This is what <laughs> this is what we're supposed to do, right? That's one difference. In the school, I would say like you can't control the whole school culture. Like right. I can't say this is like some panacea that like right. Right, right, right. everyone is not stressed and everything else. Right. But I will say that uh after like four years of this. Right they at least understand the concepts enough so that the kid who's super engaged in it is practicing it. Mm. And at a minimum, the kid who's not engaged in class at all knows that mental health is the same thing as physical health. Right, That it's right. not separate. What is the story like with the, the other school? The Obviously, it's not yours, but the, the younger one, the, the lab that the, you said. So the lab school existed before UCLA did. But I mean, in the sense where... Will you be introducing curriculum to younger? So or is, is a, there like this is a, a fun story? Yeah. I'm so curious about all of this. So from pre-kindergarten through like sixth or eighth grade, there is a curriculum called social emotional learning. And there are like hundreds of different curricula for that. Social emotional learning is basically emotional intelligence. Okay. It teaches you how to name emotions, feel emotions, understand emotions. Um, receive emotions Mm -hmm. and everything else. And I think it works really well. The problem is around age 12, 11, kids start seeing that sharing emotions has consequences. Mm. And if you don't start mental health education, then now you're stuck in this place of, I grew up as a kid being told I could say how I feel. Now Mm -hmm. I'm saying how I feel and I'm getting made fun of and things are happening. Judge for right, it. right, and so that's where, like, I'm not necessarily trying to create mental health curriculum for pre K through six because it already exists. Yeah, it's called social emotional learning. It's amazing. So it works. But after that, that's that, when that it needs to be changed. If you don't start destigmatizing right. mental health and normalizing mental health, then they're stuck in this paradigm of you said I could talk about how I feel, but 
Yeah. Now I've lost all my friends or I'm getting made fun of every day. Well, and so. I think it's also, I, you know, I, I know someone who's, who's nine year old actually, um, I've talked about this before, but there was, you know, they found a letter that was like a goodbye letter sort of a thing, you know, and it was all talked about, they had no idea what the word suicide even really meant, right. but they had heard it playing Minecraft when mm -hmm. they were on with their buddies, like listening on their earbuds or what, or their headphones, you know, mm -hmm. whatever they do. I don't know. I'm not that young. <laughs> Clearly you've all the terminology. Clearly all the terminology, yeah, no, earbuds, headphones. Uh, <laughs> Minecraft might want to hire you. They're definitely going to hire me. What can I say? <laughs> they're definitely going to hire me. Um, but it was just so sad because it was the 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 family didn't know what to do about it mm -hmm. you know and it was like do you say get off the game it's the game's fault not really because right. it's life and if you're not going to hear it there you're going to hear it from somewhere else right. you know does that mean he was even able to process what the emotion was that he was going through or was he just saying something and writing something down to be dramatic you don't know. And so mm -hmm. I think that that's what's so scary is not having, you know, I know that that's so scary for me, not having children yet, but wanting that. And and how do you, you know, trusting, like, I, we never had any of that in our school. Like, mental health was never talked about. Right. And so to hear these things and meet people such as yourself, it's so lovely to hear that, like, there is so much beautiful change that's happening, mm -hmm. you know, and that you're right. It is that 12 years old where it's so important of, like, we were told i feel angry i feel sad and then like someone's like shame on you fuck you like you can't be angry <laughs> like, and it's right. so wild so it's yeah. so it's it's just wonderful and it gives me so much hope in the world that there is actual change that's going on and it's mm -hmm. and it's you like you're part <laughs> of it you know what i mean Thanks. yeah i mean i think like it was a national natural natural yeah. transition for me to be like Oh, there's no full school assemblies? Let's create that. Oh, right. there's no curriculum? Let's create that. And now it's like, how do we change the education system? Which is right. really easy to do. It's really small. It's a really simple. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so what is, system. let's change everything. And then what is the next mission? What is the I mean, big this is game changer? This is going to take time. Gonna take a lot We're of not going to like go and like try to be a fighter pilot or something like crazy. No, I feel like I, you're no. you're. I mean, look, the, you're going to do something. I just the, feel there's some secret that Ross is holding cool, from all of us. The cool thing is, like, I get to work at the school every day, and I get to have relationships like with the students and watch them grow and graduate yeah. and everything. But I, I keep my side hustle, which is you know writing and speaking and right. creating curriculum and everything else. So right. like, I have kind of the a really nice got it all going situation right now good yeah we like a good situation <laughs> ross what is your emotional support oh man <laughs> well like my relationship is my biggest yeah. uh, strength of emotional support my wife is like the smartest most emotionally aware communicating genius in the world and like <laughs> has her own journey has her own story but like um, is really just a depth at like, hey, let's do this together, right? Um, and so that's that's my biggest emotional support. Oh, you know, my family is is also yeah still there and like really great. And I have like friends who I rely on, um, for for so many things. Not a ton, but I have yeah. like specific friends I count on. But outside of that, like I've been diving deeper into different types of therapy and and things like that. Like I grew up muscling through my emotions really until like age 34 35 mm -hmm. 
when somebody was like, you're just trapping all of your emotions in your mm. body. Yeah. And since then, it's been a process of like, well, how do I get those out? Is so. there one that you would recommend to others that's very unique and special? So like recently I've been doing this breath work thing that's just like. So I just had a girl in here who was on, on my show and I was. It was crazy. It? She this specializes in breath work. Right. And I'm not talking about like, I went to yoga and No, no, breathe. no, no. She like, was talking about fire breathing. You know, 20, fire breathing? 21 minute cadenced breathing that like, I can see like visions in. And it's like, a trip. But the all t- you're going to appreciate this because you you and I have a similar brain. Um, I I don't I, I, I won't assume that you have this, but I have tantrums all the time. I call uh, them like little kid tantrums. Sure. And I love to throw a remote. I love to throw my phone. Like, love it. Live <laughs> it. Not at anyone. Not. No, like in space, whatever. But it feels good. It's like this like volcano erupting. And then I, I get so emotional and I cry so hard that I my breathing is like, <gasps> like I can't breathe. And she goes, oh, well, that's, you know, fire breathing. I'm like, what? She goes, what you're doing is you're cleaning out all of your chakras mm. through that. And it's a natural way that your body naturally changes and clears itself. And I'm like, what? Like, well, and, what? And humans have been doing that for thousands of years. Yes. Like, since, like, as far back as we have any record of humans, there used to be a um, spiritual connection to breath work and the right. breath work and the cadence and everything. And they still do it. When I lived in Botswana, they still do it in um, hunter-gatherer tribes that, uh, you know, was their connection to the earth or connection to... Mother nature and stuff. Wow. you know, we've destroyed, so... Yeah, well, that's fine. You can Um, still breathe. Well, I just did. (laughs) I got asked. um, I work with with NAMI. I'm an ambassador for NAMI. And they asked me to be part of something called Self-Care University. It's a new program that they're going to start be releasing for colleges um, of different types of self-care and therapies you can do. And so they put me on a horse for horse therapy. So that was something that I did last week, and it changed my life and so i really recommend that that's something You're, i wasn't a horse person i love animals go, like, up the hollywood sign or no it's this one no i mean i've done that before that's really fun no this was really interesting it was at a place called a uh, special spirit and they're an animal sanctuary and they have therapists that work there that's where their offices are like okay. in the barns like it's crazy and then they have you go on the horse and you mm-hmm. do bareback and they have you you know or bear saddle or whatever and they you're sitting there and they have you close your eyes and there's like different like movement exercises and it's all for trauma and they work Uh, with um you know people in the military ptsd children who who live with autism and then specifically with bipolar and um those who struggle with severe mental health um mental illness so that's a new one for you. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. I mean, animals can be so healing. They are. I got two locked up right now. <laughs> You'll meet up. They're so fun. Oh my gosh. Um, Ross, how can everyone find you? Uh, easiest way on Instagram is just at Ross Zabo. It's like that ends up being three S's, R-O-S-S-S-Z-A-B-O. I love it. Um, I have a book called The Kid's Book About Anxiety. Um, that's on a kid's co- dot com i have a master class for teens oh my god uh, awesome yeah, it's called a kid's class about mental health um, oh my gosh i have another book called behind happy faces god, just, fuck off Ross, he just does it all a, this is annoying now he does it I have all a company <laughs> called human power project that creates curriculum oh then, my gosh and you, know, you can find him at geffen academy, academy so. i'm gonna have everything on the show notes thank you so much Ross. <laughs> <Thanks. laughs>